lovely listeners hello welcome or welcome back to the lows to highs podcast going inwards and growing up if you're new here my name is Kadeen and i'm your host and i'm so excited for you to be listening today and if you haven't already checked out my trailer episode or have read the description of this podcast all good I get it. But as a quick overview, this podcast is all about personal development, mindfulness, self-love, entrepreneurship, healing, the kitchen sink, so everything in between. So if you haven't already, check out my previous episodes that dive deep into these topics. And if you're liking what you're hearing, I'd be very grateful if you wrote a review or followed my podcast so you can stay up to date on upcoming episodes. So in today's episode, I chatted with the lovely Allie Bonner, and I was truly blown away from our discussion. She is the founder of Oat House, which is the world's first ever granola butter made from oats. So if you're looking for an alternative to peanut butter or almond butter, definitely check out her brand. She's also the host of Allie Cast, which is her podcast, and she's a self-love advocate through her honest and authentic content on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, where she openly talks about her eating disorder recovery and her journey towards embracing her true self. And it's funny because I have known about Allie for about four to five years. I came across her Instagram and her brand back when I was in college. And I recently found her again about a few months ago on Instagram. And then about two weeks ago, I was just scrolling through TikTok and I saw a video that she posted where she talked about how she feels very deeply. She's an empath. She has a lot of emotions. And for the longest time, she thought that that was a burden. But now she had this really beautiful realization that her feelings are her superpower and after I watched that video that she posted I instantly felt connected with her and I just knew I had to set up time to talk with her and I'm so happy that I did because this episode really opened my eyes. Once you hear from Allie in this episode, you will instantly feel her radiant energy. I felt it right away. And she is so open and she is so candid. And she truly just has an incredible outlook on life. And she's faced a lot of struggles, a lot of low moments. But the way she looks at them is truly immaculate. And she talks about her successes, her failures, all the ups and downs. And we first start by talking about her eating disorder and her recovery, how she almost failed out of UC Berkeley. Um, We talk about why she left her tech job to start a food brand. We talk about the highs and lows throughout her entrepreneurial journey, like how she applied four times to be on Shark Tank, and then when she finally got on, she didn't get a deal. But um, we really just understand Allie's life, and we unpack her entire journey. And what you'll gain from this episode is the fact that you can unpack your emotions and use your feelings as your superpower 
and life is all about trial and error. So I feel like I learned so much from Allie and after our chat, I instantly felt reignited and I know you'll feel the same after hearing what she has to say. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right. So yes, let's get into it. So tell me about your journey. I read that you went to UC Berkeley and you studied nutrition. Um, but what I thought was really interesting is that it came from a negative place and you've talked very openly about your eating disorder and your recovery. So how did your interest in nutrition evolve over time? And what was the main lesson that you learned from that experience of studying it at college to where you are now? Yeah, I know it's, it's funny because being, you know, in a nutrition major, I came across so many people people had disordered eating tendencies. Um, and so I feel, and I've talked to so many, even dietitians, you know, who practice today, they were like, yeah, I mean, I started in a really disordered place. Cause I think whenever you have any sort of negative relationship with food, you're fascinated by it and you want to learn more about it. And you're just, it's all you think about. So for me, <clears throat> I mistook that for, a hobby, or I mistook that for an interest in food. Right. So I was like, Oh, I love food. I'm into food. Like I'll study nutrition in college, but what it turned out being was probably, I mean, in hindsight, I'm glad it happened, but at the time it was probably the worst thing that I could have done for myself was, was to learn more about food and nutrition because it was just, you know, it was like adding, you know, gasoline to a fire where I was already so obsessed with food. And then and the more I learned about macros and calories and nutrients and all these things, it just really made it worse and kind of exacerbated the issue. So yes, I, I went into nutrition for the wrong reasons. Um, I really did, you know, want to either become, I was on the pre-med track. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a doctor. I, I was in it for the right reasons in terms of helping people. And I did want to, you know, help people eat healthier. And I actually was really interested in um, nutritional oncology. So sort of how nutrition relates to cancer, um, prevention and, and treatment. And I worked with a awesome oncology in San Francisco for a while. Yeah. I think the, the genesis was definitely a, a very toxic place. So I don't think that everyone who goes into nutrition has that, but I think common, as I mentioned, you know, because anytime you're obsessed with something, it's sort of what you gravitate towards. So I like how you said in hindsight, it's you're happy that you made that decision. So from where you, whether it was like from graduation or during college, did you have this aha moment of like, all right, this isn't the right track for me. I need to do something else. Or was it, did you get to a really low point where you thought to yourself, this is not the career path that I want to go down into. This is not serving me. And then you made that transition to what you're doing today. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that. I mean, again, it's funny now, but at the time it was like life or death. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is so terrible. Um, I wanted so badly to be in medicine, you know, or nutrition or sort of a science-based profession. And I actually failed organic chemistry. I guess I didn't fail it twice. Cause that would have meant I would have had to drop out of college, but I failed it once. And then I had like three different tutors um, and I got like a C minus the next time, like barely like scraped by, you know, mm -hmm. same thing with physics and biochem. 
and all these pre-med majors. And at the time, you know, as a straight A student in high school, obviously getting into UC Berkeley, it's a very highly academic school. It was devastating to me. And I felt like a complete failure. I felt like the dumbest person on planet earth. Um, and also it was very new for me to work so hard. You know, I had all these tutors and I really, it's not like I was just partying and not studying, you know, that actually would have felt a little bit better because I would be like, okay, I know why I'm failing, but I was really really trying. And it was like, just not in hindsight, it's like, okay, yeah, you're not meant for this. Right. Like and knowing myself now I'm so creative. I'm so, you know, I don't know what brain it is, but just very creative energy, branding, marketing, like that is my bread and butter, but I was trying to just swim upstream. And a lot of it was very ego-based, right? So it was, you know, me being like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to prove against the odds. Um, and it just wasn't me listening to my internal, uh, strengths and realizing that I was just pushing too hard. And I think there's a moment where you have to realize that what you're doing, if you're swimming upstream like that, it, you know, you have to reach this point where you realize this is not the right path for me. I'm going to go try a different stream. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. try an easier stream. Um, and I think our society is, you know, we don't talk about that a lot. And especially around failure, you know, it's very much like, grind hustle. You know, if you work hard, you'll get there. And it's like sometimes, but sometimes not, you know, there was a guy, I remember so distinct guy in my pre-med class and he was, you know, president of his frat captain of the soccer team. He was also in the business school and he would show up to these physics finals, like wasted, you know, still reeking (laughs) of alcohol, barely studying and just ace them. And I was like, okay, like something should have clicked in me then that was like, you know, maybe you're a little too hard. Um, and maybe you just need to to pivot. So, yeah. So to answer your question, I think in hindsight, it was such a gift because it really was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just something that I, my life was telling me like, this isn't your path. And if I became a doctor, I would have been miserable. Yeah. I hate blood. I hate hate sick people. You know, I hate hospitals. They're depressing to me. So it's like, why was I doing it in the first place? And what I realized was I was doing it because becoming a doctor is a very safe path. It's a very predictable path. And I was very scared of the unknown, which again, hilarious now, because I'm an entrepreneur. My day is just always unknown. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but I think, um, you know, I think what ended up happening and how I realized all this, it was trial and error. And some people, I think they'll get it really quickly. And other people like me kind of have to follow down a few times and be like, okay, let me try something else because this obviously isn't working. Um, so it wasn't, you know, overnight I was like, okay, I'm going to try something new. Um, it was me almost failing out of UC Berkeley to realize, okay, let's try something else because, you know, clearly this isn't working so far. So I actually ended up going and after I graduated, um, worked at a PR firm, which I hated. I hated PR. <laughs> oh my God. Anyone who's, who's out there does PR, like props to you because it is so hard, like, especially when you're entering. I don't oh, think God. I realized like cold calling. Yeah. You're like calling journalists and, uh, you get, you know, cussed out a lot on the phone by all these like reporters and it's, it's tough. So, um, I went into PR because I was the only company that would hire me because I had a terrible GPA and I realized that wasn't for me. So again, like long story short, it was a lot of kind of just trial and error. And I had a really hard time in my early twenties. Um, I wasn't confident in myself. You know, again, I was really knocked down by 
by my college experience. And so then I ended up working at health tech startup in San Francisco, um, marketing role and just fell in love with marketing. And it really was the first time that something clicked. And I was like, okay, like this feels right. (laughs) Like this feels easy and I'm good at it, which I think is kind of one of those signs that, you know, people try to tell you to look for. So, yeah. And then I think from there, I kept, you know, I loved food obviously, but again, it was from a negative place. But then as I healed my relationship with food, I started to rewrite that journey. So we can go into all that, but yeah, to answer your question, it was, uh, it was kind of a trial and error process. I love that because two things that I just learned from what you just described. Number one is that when you first started your journey at UC Berkeley and you studied nutrition, it was it was in your heart that was in it. It was more so your brain and your mind and what society has kind of painted as the right career path, like go to school, get your degree, get a state stable job, like do all those pieces. But then while you were in the midst of it, you were like, wait a minute, like number one, I'm not naturally good at this. Number two, my heart isn't in it. And number three, I'm struggling clearly this isn't what was meant for me. And then you pivoted and then you, through trial and error, you figured out, all right, I'm, I love marketing. I'm really good at it. I hate PR and never going to go back there. And I relate to that so much because I went to school in New York city for college. So for four years I was in Manhattan living the typical New York city lifestyle. I did not want to be on a campus and I really wanted to get ahead of my career, which in hindsight, I'm very proud that I did that. But also in hindsight, I wish I just enjoyed my youth a little bit more. But every semester, yeah. I was hustling to get a new internship. And it was part of it was for the wrong reasons. Like I just wanted to add something else in my resume. And so that by the time I graduated, my LinkedIn was beautiful and anyone wanted to hire me. But the great part of that was Every four months, I had a new internship and a new experience. So I learned very quickly the things that I hate doing that I could never devote my career to. And then the things that I just naturally was good at are things that I really enjoyed giving my time to. And so by the time I graduated, I had a very clear idea of the industries or roles that I had no interest in and the industries and roles that my heart was really set into. Um And I think to your point, you have to go through that trial trial and error and you have to fail, quote, fail. Um, I personally don't believe in failure. I think everything is a learning experience as long as you get back up after it. And in your case, you absolutely got back up and you kind of went on a whole different path that led you to the success you have today. But um, one thing that I I'm interested to unpack is that you were so scared of the unknown and now every day your life is unknown. So I would love to learn more yeah. about the initial moments of Oat House. Like, did you wake up one day and think to yourself, I have this idea and I'm going to just make it happen starting now? Or was the idea of this product brewing in your mind until you were ready to take that leap and really just throw yourself into the unknown? Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, the unknown, it's funny because it still scares me. It's not something where once you become an entrepreneur, you know, you're like, okay, I like this now. Like, it's always scary, you know, mm-hmm. especially it's like more money, more problems. Like, the bigger we get, you know, the bigger the stakes, honestly. So I think it's just you get, um, yeah, you just get more comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. Um, but Yeah. I mean, the idea for granola butter came out of my eating disorder recovery. So 
as I mentioned, struggled for a long time, over a decade um, with multiple eating disorders. And then a few years after I graduated college, you know, when I was living in San Francisco, working in tech, I was just so sick of watching my life pass me by. I was so sick of being in this mental prison. You know, I was sick of thinking about food all the goddamn time. And I was just like, I need a change. I think same kind of, I mean, now that we're talking about it, very similar to my college experience where it was like, this isn't working for me. Let me try mm-hmm. something else. And I think sometimes as humans, we have to reach almost a breaking point to get us to change. Cause it's often, you know, it's scary and it's, we like what's comfortable, but when you realize yeah. that what's comfortable is actually <laughs> slowly killing you, then you try something new. So reached out for help, um, to this amazing woman changed my life and really started to repair my relationship with food. And something I struggled with was called orthorexia, which Mm. for people listening is an obsession with eating perfectly clean all the time. So the ingredients had to be just right. You know, the oils they were using had to be just right. And it, it almost is like a form of OCD in my opinion, because it's, you know, for me, it was less about the calories at the time, but more just like the, the cleanliness of the food. And it's really hard to figure out if you struggle with something like that, especially in the wellness industry where that's sort of put on a pedestal. So it was this really, and being a nutrition student, it was like a very blurry existence for me. Um, but I knew that it was not healthy mentally. So, um, part of that recovery journey was actually adding foods back into my diet that I had restricted for years. So I was, you know, terrified of nut butters for whatever reason, peanut butter, almond butter, love the taste of them, but was scared to eat them. And so as I started to slowly add them back in, in my recovery journey, um, I had a really hard time digesting them. And I think nuts are just a very kind of dense food and my gut and just my body in general was sort of a wreck from years of restricting and binging. So, um, in the meantime, my nutritionist was saying, you know, try some nut free spreads. There's sunflower seed butter and soy nut butter and all of these other spreads that are made for people with nut allergies. And I was like, okay, try them out. And I was like, these are not for me. These are not good. Um, and again, like some people like them, but for me personally, it's just, it was a no go. And I was like, this is crazy. Like this can't be the only options. And I felt so bad. I was like, I don't even have a nut allergy. I just like, am eating these for the time being. And I can't even imagine life like without peanut butter and almond butter. (laughs) And, um, so then I was like, there has to be something else. And I was in my you know tiny San Francisco kitchen, kind of in this like experimental phase where I was just really learning to play with my food again and learning to, um, yeah, almost just experiment. And it, I don't know, almost like a childlike wonder with food again. So I really attribute the discovery and the idea of granola butter to actually this really pivotal part in my recovery journey, because, you know, had I been someone who didn't go with food, I probably wouldn't be thinking outside the box like that, or I would be approaching food in this sort of new frame of mind. So I think everything does happen for a reason. Um, but I was really inspired by Oatly and oat milk was kind of coming onto the scene. This was like 2017. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I bet I could do a spread made out of oats. That would be interesting. So that's where the idea came from. But at the time, you know, it was September, 2017, I was so happy in my job in tech. And I think that's another misconception. People think like, oh, you must hate your job to leave it. You know, like, no, Mm -hmm. I was loving life. I was working at a really young, fun startup. We were going on trips all over the place. It was so cool. Um, At the same time, there was a little part of me that was like, I'm working to build someone else's dream. And I always kind of had it in me. Like, I think 
I could do my own thing. But again, you know, the self-doubt creeps in. And I also never felt like an entrepreneur because I wasn't driven. uh, I wasn't motivated by making money. And that's another misconception I'd love to debunk if you want to talk about it. But, um, you know, to be an entrepreneur, I think it was always drilled in me that it's like, you have to be this very money hungry person. And I just never was. Um, I'm, I'm very much more motivated by kind of like the wow factor, just like, I don't know, like just telling people like, oh, I have my own business or like we got into Sprout, we got into this. Like, I love that excitement that really motivates me. Um, And so, yeah, so I had this idea, but I was like, eh, I'm not really going to leave my full-time job in tech to start a granola butter company. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't go to Berkeley to start a granola butter company. (laughs) Like again, the ego coming in, I'm just like, are you kidding? Right. Right. I'm like, people are going to laugh at me. Like, what am I going to be at the farmer's market? Like no fucking way. (laughs) So, um, I was definitely not like motivated to do it. And then Eric, my partner, we met in college. So we've been dating now for like nine years, but at um, time he was working Accenture doing tech consulting, always been like very entrepreneurial and like always thinking of side ideas and kind of just the more classic, like entrepreneur sense. And he was like, oh my God, great idea. Like we have to do this. So he was really the one that was like pushing me and kind of was that those words of affirmation that I think really needed at the time to just be like, okay. And he was sort of like, just try it as a side hustle and see what happens. So we started working on it just nights and weekends. You know, my friends were like, where did you go? I totally fell off the face of the earth. And I was just (laughs) like working around the clock. And then we actually, you know, talk about serendipitous So Eric and I had a vacation planned to Paris this September, 2017. And we go out there and um, we're starting to talk about the idea more. And he was like, I feel like we need a third co-founder. Like, I feel like we need someone who's really well-versed in the culinary scene or someone who's gone to culinary school. And so we're kind of racking our brain. Like, who do we know that's a chef? And one of friends from Jewish summer camp uh, was actually working in a restaurant out in Paris. And so we're like, oh my gosh, we have to go meet up with Ari pitch him on the idea. And it was just so perfect. Like the stars aligned. Ari was so burned out on the restaurant industry out there. Like it sounds glamorous, like, Oh, I'm a chef in Paris, but no, it was, he was just worked to the bone. So he came on as our third co-founder and then we launched it March, 2018, um, as you know, just pre-orders. And then yeah, kind of the rest is, is history, but, um, that's the founding story. And yeah, for anyone listening, that's thinking of starting something like it doesn't have to be this epiphany moment. And you don't have to feel right away that like, this is it. Cause I definitely didn't feel that. Like I felt, Oh, this is a cool idea, but I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to leave my job and drop everything. Like I still worked on it as a side hustle for a year. And then, you know, when I felt comfortable enough financially is when I left. Wow. I love that entire story. I love how you guys met your third co-founder in Paris, like to your point, serendipitous to the max. That's awesome. Um, and I think my, like when I think about entrepreneurs and think about all the really successful people who've created awesome products or services, I feel like the common denominator is to your point, it's not rooted in being money hungry and just trying to be financially successful. It's simply creating something that was missing in their life and they brought it to reality. And with that, it helped so many other people or people realize, wow, I actually need this product or service in my life too. And so I think if you're, you know, if you're listening and you have an idea, ask yourself if it's, it's rooted in something that 
is a problem that you're facing or is it a solution that you could help solve or is it a problem that you could help solve that's rooted in your own experience and in your own life? And then because that's where you find the passion for it and that's what's going to keep you working on your goal or your dream and bringing it into a reality. And I think, Ali, what you just mentioned of, you know, it was a side hustle for months before you were really ready to take that leap, before you were ready that of being financially free in a sense to go after it and quit your full-time job. I'm sure throughout that entire process, you fell in love with the idea more and more every day. And because it was so rooted in a problem that you were facing, you had to bring it to life and you had to work hard and you had to continue going forward. Um, but I think that's where the most success comes from when it's rooted, not in money or just trying to make a name for yourself or being on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. It's solving a problem that you're facing in your life that can also benefit other people. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I think Yeah. I mean, it was, and again, there's nothing wrong with being motivated by money. Like Mm -hmm. one of my co-founders definitely is. Um, So I don't want to shame anyone because I think money provides a lot of really great things and freedom and, you know, opportunity, et cetera. Uh, Especially as women, we're very conditioned to not talk about money. Um, But I think, yeah, but I think you know, for me, you're so right. It was really just, I saw the vision and it wasn't even product focused. It was really more about helping people have fun with food again. And I think it was just that experience I had where I started to play with my food and almost got back to my childlike self of Mm -hmm. experiencing food for the first time. And I know there's many people out there that just feel really stressed out about food or paralyzed, like they don't know what to eat. Um, And so we're just kind of on a mission of like, you know, we don't want to be a nutrition company. That's like, eat this. Cause it's gluten-free eat this. Cause it's plant-based. Like we want to eat this. Cause it makes you happy and you love sharing it with your kids or your loved ones, or, you know, it's just this little moment of pleasure, which I feel like in the nutrition space is not quite talked about so much. Cause people are always trying to sell this <laughs> nutritional value prop of some sort. Yeah. Um, and so we've kind of forgotten that, you know, you can eat something actually just because it tastes good or just because it makes you happy. You don't have to eat something because it is good for you all the time. Right. So, um, and then of course our ingredients, you know, it is gluten-free. It is allergen friendly just because we want everyone to be able to enjoy it. That wants to, we don't, you know, we want it to be inclusive in that way. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think having a mission beyond just monetary milestones is so important because it's such a hard, really difficult journey that if you only have that as your motivating factor, you're just not going to last. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how, the the vision you had from the get-go was let's bring some fun back into eating and into food and when you scroll through the oat house instagram page and even your own that personality really comes out like the way you guys do like the drool of the spoon or you just like eating out of the jar it really embodies that fun free personality which i think is so brilliant which also just shows how creative you are in terms of marketing and how your vision from day one has lasted to where you are today. Um, and I think with that, with the way that you market your brand and yourself, it's so unapologetic and it's so original and genuine when it's, whether it's in relation to your personal brand or your business, it just feels very authentic. 
And so I know you've talked a little bit about how you weren't so confident in your early twenties. And now the energy that I'm receiving is utmost confidence and comfortability in your own skin. What was that journey like when it comes to self-love and really embracing your authentic self and then also using your brand as um, like a channel to also release that part of you? Yeah. I love this question. I think (laughs) It's like, it's funny on, on so many of these podcasts, I feel like it's almost a mini therapy session. Cause I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh, what a great question. I haven't thought about this. Um, yeah, I have done, I mean, so much inner work. And I think the, the eating disorder recovery was really just this catalyst for a deeper dive. And what I realized was it's never about the food. Yeah. And for many, many people, what I've talked to with my, my therapist, you know, who helped me with my recovery is she was like, it's never about the food. Like that's just, you know, a distraction or a placeholder or something um, that our brain uses, but it's really something deeper. And so I think for me, what it was, was I was terrified of feeling my emotions because I grew up in a family very happy go lucky. You know, both my parents are just absolute gems. I post about them all the time. I'm so close with them. Um, but they never taught me how to handle anxiety, boredom, stress, loneliness, you know, anger. And so when I had these feelings come up, it was always like, Oh, like cheer up, let's go get cream or let's, you know, go play or something. It was always like masking or distracting. And I think a lot of parents do that out of, you know, it's not to shame them in any way. Like this was, they just wanted me to be happy. And that's like a beautiful sentiment. But, um, I think what I've learned is that because of that, when I felt those emotions come up, I had no idea what the fuck to do. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm feeling bored. Like, what do I do? Okay. I'm going to go make a snack because food makes me happy. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where food came into my life. I remember it was around middle school when that started to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been a journey of, you know, realizing that food was really just this anesthetist, you know, it numbed me out or it was a really distraction mechanism, um, or it was a little hit of dopamine. And so it really was almost like a drug, um, in that way. And so it, you know, I think diving deeper and kind of removing food from the equation, it's really been this journey of feeling my feelings again. So I've worked with a somatic therapist who basically helps me tap back into and get really comfortable feeling feelings. So she'll have me identify, you know, I'll say, I'm feeling really sad today. And she's like, okay, where is it in your body? What does it look like? What color is it? And then I'll put my hands over the area and just breathe love into that area. And it's just such a beautiful way to draw attention to a feeling where many of us try to run away from a feeling. Um, And it's been so beautiful to learn that when I do that, when I spend time and I focus on this feeling, it doesn't overwhelmed doesn't swallow me up in this wave of emotion. Like I think it will, you know, it actually dissipates a lot quicker than if I distract it or distract from it um, and try and run away. So that's been incredibly helpful. And then I've really kind of taken a deep dive since about November. So very recently um, into, I don't want to call it a spiritual awakening. Cause I know that's like almost cliche at this point, <laughs> but um, just a deep dive into like who I am as a person. Cause I think for so long, you know, I was very tied up in this in many different identities, right? So the identity of of having an eating disorder, and then the identity of someone who's in recovery, and then being a business owner, and I use those as a way to kind of mask who I was, and and not really, you know, peel back the layers and learn who I was. So 
Um, yeah, I think that's been, you know, a huge journey for me, but in terms of confidence, a lot of it is just maturity and age and real, and, you know, and just being unapologetically myself and realizing, um, you know, that I don't even like everyone. So why should I expect everyone to like me? You know? And I think really unlearning this people pleasing mentality, um, has been huge for that. And, and being a business owner actually has helped too, because in business, you just can't be a people pleaser, um, in certain areas. So yeah, I think it's just been kind of a a faceted type journey. That was all so helpful. Just the way that you talked about everything. Cause I relate to, I relate to a lot of what you just discussed, primarily the, the upbringing part and the childhood. I had the same experience as you had a wonderful childhood, would not have asked for anything different. My parents gave nothing but love. They have a beautiful marriage and I'm so close with them now today, but it's the same thing of like, I never was taught and not from a place of like, we don't want to teach you. It was more so that's how they were brought up into this world as well. So that's kind of what they passed over to me and my brother, but I never learned how to deal with my emotions. And I'm someone who feels things so, so deeply. I'm an empath. And if someone across from me is feeling stressed or anxious or sad, I will receive that energy and I'll hold it in my own body, in my heart. And then I become stressed, anxious, and sad. Um, And the same thing, like I've never, it's been such a struggle growing up because I never knew what to do with my emotions or what to do with my feelings. And I had the same very similar relationship with food as you did, where I would lean to food anytime I felt anything, whether I was feeling happy, I would be like, Oh, I'm feeling happy. Let me like, you know, like eat something delicious to make me even happier. Or like, if I'm feeling anxious, I would put a bowl of popcorn and like eat it while quickly watching Netflix and just to feel something. And it's the same, it's the same thing of like, I never really acknowledged my feelings or emotions and went inwards to unpack it. And over the years, I've learned how to do that. And the liberation that comes with it is astronomical. And I never realized that your emotions and your feelings and your awareness of them and also what you do with that awareness can lead to suffering or it could lead to liberation and it's a very tricky thing to be a master at but it's so important to feel what you're feeling to acknowledge them to unpack it to go deeper to really sit with yourself and think like okay who am I without this identity whether it's my identity to my career or my illness or my eating disorder or my friendships whatever it is to take yourself out of it to then come back to who you are at your core and i think that's the root of confidence is like strip away everything around you and everyone else around you who are you when you're alone in your room are you happy with that person how can you become a better version of that person and that's when you feel confident and you feel comfortable in your own skin. And then when you are in a room with people who you might not like, or who might not like you, it doesn't bother you because you don't give a shit what they think. Like, you know who you are, or when it comes to starting your own business, you're like, I have faith and I have trust in myself to make this happen and make it successful. So I don't care what people say I'm going after my dreams, but it really is in order to get to that level, it really does involve going inwards and like really, really sitting with yourself and figuring out who you are and what are things that have been patterns or what are things that you have to shift about the way you think. But it's a lot of work. Um, And a lot of people 
I feel like know that it's a lot of work, but they're too scared to do it. But I think Allie, you're an example of even just in the past four months, like you mentioned November, it seems like you've had a huge quote, spiritual awakening. I know how cliche that sounds, <laughs> but um, it doesn't have to take five, 10 years. It could happen, you know, maybe not overnight, but it, it takes some time, but like there is, there is a path and there is beautiful liberation on the other side of people did go inwards. That was a mouthful. <laughs> oh, yes. 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 No, I like, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it is true. It can be really overwhelming and it can feel, yeah, almost intimidating to just embark on that journey. Um, but I encourage people listening just to start with, I mean, I'm such an advocate of therapy. Like I think, you know, a therapist will never, the cool thing about therapy is a therapist never tells you the answer. Like they're just simply Mm -hmm. a mirror for you and you always have the answer within yourself. And it just takes someone, you know, sometimes they don't even need to ask questions. Like it just takes someone listening for you to kind of come up with these awesome realizations yourself. You know, other times have to just ask a few right uh, probing questions and then you get there. But um, yeah, I think something that I've realized recently too is, Yes, it does feel exhausting at times and I'm not going to, you know, not going to sugarcoat it. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. there are moments where I'm like, oh, like it's almost like ignorance is bliss, right? I'm like, wow, I just felt like I was, I didn't know all of this stuff until I, you know, you kind of pull back the curtain and you're like, oh shit, like I can't unsee all these things that I'm learning about myself, but I'm so grateful because I just remember that girl that was, you know, struggling with food. I just remember thinking like, why? Like, I thought there was something broken inside of me. And I thought there was really something inherently wrong. And I had no idea why I was behaving the way I was and a terrible place to be, you know, mm. acting in a way that you don't like and not knowing why is really scary. Cause you just feel so out of control and just, you know, learning more about yourself and knowing why you do the things you do, I think is the most important thing you can ever do as a human. Um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely is, you know, it takes time and energy, but why wouldn't you embark on that journey when it's, you know, it's your life. It's like your one shot <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to kind of be a, a, a pert great human. So, yeah, I completely feel you when you said like, it's so scary when you're doing things and you don't know why, or you're feeling things and you don't know why I was in a very low point a few years ago. And I remember like, whenever I would be out with people or out with my friends, all of these negative thoughts would creep in. And it always came from a place of like, I didn't feel good enough. And in the moment, I would be aware of those thoughts, but I'm like, I can't change it. Like, I don't know where this stemmed from. Was there a traumatic experience that I'm suppressing? Like, what is the root of all this? And it was so, so scary. And it felt very alone because there are some things you just can't open up to people about. And I personally have never tried therapy and I I feel like I need to do it eventually. I just haven't been at that point yet, but I do see the value in it. And sometimes you do need someone to help guide you through or guide and navigate you through those patterns or thoughts or emotions, because it is really hard to, to do it all alone. And that's also when the ego creeps in because it's like an unhealthy balance of like, I'm so powerful and I could heal myself. And then the other half is like, I can't do this all alone. I do need some guidance. I do need some support. And you could be in the middle of those things. And I think that that's a great way to heal whatever you're healing or work through whatever you're, you're struggling with. Um, 
but sometimes you do need that extra hand to help guide you or probe you. And it basically through that, you realize, wait, they haven't even done much or they haven't really told me the answer, but I figured it out on my own. And I personally had an experience with a spiritual guide a few months ago where she and I were talking about my gut issues, which I've had since I was 11 years old. And so my identity is tied to it. And she just told me, close your eyes, put your hand on your stomach and ask your stomach, what does it need right now? And the first thing that just popped out of my mouth in like a millisecond was it needs love. And in that moment, I realized, holy shit, like it was that simple. Like, I just need to give it more love. I've had this hatred towards my stomach and my gut and my my health issues for 14 years. All that it's asking from me is to give more love. And in that moment, I became so aware. And now how I speak to myself has shifted. But it was through that spiritual guide and that question like how she navigated that conversation I had with her that I had that realization. So whether it's therapy or a spiritual guide or tarot card reader or your friend or your mom, like sometimes you do need that support to get to the other side. And I just think there still is a stigma around it, um, but we need to break that stigma. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I love that so much. I think, yeah. And I think too, you know, therapy is something that, it takes time to find the right mm-hmm. therapist and it's almost like dating, you know? And I think for people who, cause I've had tons of friends that are like, I don't know, it wasn't for me. And it took me a long time to find someone who really I clicked with. So that's something else for people to keep in mind if you're thinking of exploring. And there's so many different types, like the somatic yeah. therapy that I do, we barely talk. Like it's all just, it's almost like a meditation. Like I'm laying there and she's sort of guiding me, but it's not, traditional, you know, psychotherapy or talk therapy. So yeah, trying out different things and just, and being easy breezy with it. I think in healing journeys, people get very rigid and very like, there's a right way to do it in a wrong way. And it's like, you know, that's kind of what got you there in the first place, at least for Mm -hmm. me, like I was so rigid with food. So it's like, why would I be rigid with my recovery? So again, everything that I do is really trying to just have fun, play, lighten up, like loosen the reins. Um, and there's no wrong way to, to do it. It's just all, you know, kind of a journey. I love that. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said in the beginning, it's all trial and error, you know, whether it's your business or your life or your healing or whatever it is, you have to try different things and see what works for you and see what's, you know, what's what is serving you in that moment and then what could serve you in the future as well. Um, one Mm -hmm. thing that I really want to discuss was we kind of touched on how you're a deep feeler. And a few weeks ago, you posted a TikTok where you said, I'm deeply, I'm a deeply emotional person. I have high highs and low lows. And that for years, it was the root of my suffering. But now I realize feeling deeply is actually my superpower. So I related to this so much. The title of my podcast is Lows to Highs. I'm an empath. I think very deeply. I feel very deeply. And sometimes it's hard to get away from those feelings or emotions or go deeper to unpack them. And I don't know if you feel this way, but for years, I always envied people who could just shut off their emotions and just move past them. Like they could just turn it off like a light switch until recently. What I learned is that, you know, feeling is so healthy. It's so good for you. It's so necessary so that it doesn't build up over the years as trauma or stress or anxiety. So I would love to unpack that quote and what you said in your TikTok. So 
what about your feelings makes it your superpower? And what was the dialogue in your mind before this revelation? Like, how did you talk to yourself when it came to your feelings? And how do you think now knowing your feelings are your superpower? Yes. Uh, another, you're so good at these questions. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a podcast or something? Oh my God. Um, yeah. I, I mean, God, I just think knowing that I came from a place where I used to be the person that never cried. I used to be mm-hmm. the person that didn't show any emotion. Like you said, those people that you envied, I was that person. Like I remember you know, thinking back and just thinking, God, I, I can count on one hand, the number of times I cried in, you know, my young adult life, which is just sad because now it's like, oh, I cry like every yeah. other day, <laughs> but it's, so I, I don't envy that person at all because I was that person. And it was maybe on the outside, it looked like, you know, I was this happy go lucky girl, or like I had my shit together, but I was suffering and I, I was suppressing and numbing and distracting and I wasn't living. Um, and now I just, yeah, I'm so grateful to have found this superpower of my, my own and realizing that, you know, it is in fact, this really positive force in my life. And, you know, it it is difficult at times I will admit because two of my, both my co-founders are male and they're both pretty, you know, non-emotional beings, I would say (laughs) definitely not empathic in any way. And I do, you know, I've kind of started to learn more about what it means to be an empath. And I I do resonate with that a a lot. Again, I don't want to put another, like tie another identity to myself because I feel like I could be like, oh, I'm an empath. And then like X, Y, Z, it's like, yeah, you know, because I have a tendency to do that. Um, (laughs) So it's like, yes, I'm someone that feels really deeply and I I feel things and I feel other people's emotions very deeply as well. Um, And that can be challenging in the business world. I will say um, when I'm surrounded by men, because um, you know, we're working at a facility. It's a lot of manual labor. It's a lot of like testosterone and it does feel like it's not my superpower sometimes, but then other times, you know, when we're making say business decisions on something and I'm like, I can't explain it, but I just feel like this is the wrong thing. And I just have this gut feeling and neither one of my co-founders like, they're like, I don't feel that at all. Or I'll be like, I have a real feeling about this person. And they're like, really? Like I thought he was really nice guy. And then it's all like, my gut feeling is always right. Like I can't explain it, but it's just always so true. And so I feel like it's kind of taken some time and some, you know, trial and error again to show my co-founders like this actually is a superpower because every time I have this gut feeling it's led us in a right direction. And that doesn't mean I'm like a psychic or anything, but I think just having that kind of you know, extra layer and extra sense about me that I might catch things that maybe, you know, Eric and Ari might miss because, you know, I think it's business is an art too. Like there's lots of obviously kind of quantitative things that go on with, with numbers and logic, but I think it's also an art and relationship building in a sense. So I will say that's the only time it's been tricky is like in the business world, still sort of figuring that out. But in my personal life, I mean, it has just, it's made my relationships better. It's made my relationship with myself better. Um, because when I'm able to express myself, I'm not bottling things up and then I'm not going to randomly lash out at one day. And he's going to be like, Whoa, where did that come from? You know? Um, and it's sort of just this even flow of energy. So yeah, I, I feel like it is a superpower and, you know, I have never, again, like this isn't, I know there's people that, you know, have bipolar or, um, other disorders. I can't speak to that because I know those are, you know, 
very high, high manic and very low depressive. Um, I don't experience those. So I'm not, you know, bedridden for days. So, um, I can't speak to that, but just for me, I feel like I am more emotional than most people in my circle. And so I can't speak to that part, but, um, I know it's definitely a spectrum. So everyone is, is different. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would have never guessed that you are someone who never cried because in that video that you post on TikTok, like it, you described how you cry and you let out your emotions. And that is something that I've actually been personally struggling with. I had a conversation with my best friend the other day who she's a very emotional person and she's not afraid to show it to other people. Whereas what I do is I can only cry in my own room in solitude. Like, I don't think anyone, unless it's like at a funeral, which is already depressing, um, I can't cry in front of other people. And when I was talking to my friend about it, that's when I realized, holy shit, I can't cry in front of other people. Why is that? And then the other night, I something triggered me and then I just started having a whole crying session alone. And then I journaled about it. And I learned so much during that hour of me just unpacking things and asking myself really deep questions and letting out whatever was coming about. And now I feel like I'm on the brink of breaking that wall. And what I learned was maybe me not being able to cry and show my, my really dark or deep emotions to other people is rooted in the fact that I've always tried to be perfect. I've always tried to be the positive girl. And I do love that about myself of how I try to see the good in things, but sometimes you just have to feel whatever the hell it is you're feeling. If you're feeling angry, be angry. If you're feeling sad, be sad and let those feelings guide you. And that's kind of what they've done for you. When it comes to business, you really trust your your intuition and you have faith in your feelings. And that's why it's your superpower because it's allowing you to see things or do things that the other people around you won't necessarily do. But I think it really does go back to like really sitting with yourself and uncovering whatever is rooted below, but it's hard and it's, it's not fun all the time and it's scary. And it's sometimes it's lonely and, you know, to your point, like, I don't know the full, there's a huge spectrum of this and I can't speak to anyone who has depression or like anxiety or other disorders. But for me, it's really just embracing the fact that you can feel shitty and it's okay. You just have to make the effort to, to learn from it and see what's on the other side. Yeah, no. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that is a beautiful clarification. Um, because I, I mean, we have very similar <laughs> journey. Like I, I have been working through that shame around expressing my emotions and yeah, just to clarify how you were saying, Oh, I'm surprised. Like you never used to show emotion. Like that was when I was struggling with my eating disorder. And like, because that's what I, again, I used to sort of mask it, but it's only been, you know, the past few years that I've started started to uncover some of this stuff. And very recently I've been working with my therapist around is exactly what you mentioned. Like I feel so much shame and embarrassment around emoting and expressing myself. And it was cool because, you know, the power of therapy, again, she was like, okay, you know, where do you think that comes from? And even that simple question, I was like, oh, I've never thought about that. Like, where did mm-hmm. my name from expressing myself come, come from. And we pinpointed it when I was, this is so crazy. And it seems so like, it can be a very trivial moment. I was five years old and my parents took me to a ski camp in, I think it was like Tahoe or something. 
And it was like this little, you know, all these five-year-olds like skiing around. And it was like, a, my parents were off like actually skiing. And so it was like a little daycare thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I fell and I started crying. And these three boys, like five-year-old boys pointed at me and started laughing at me. Right. So mm-hmm. like very innocent, simple situation. But in that moment, what I learned from that was crying is embarrassing. Crying is wrong. Yeah. People will laugh at you if you cry. And from that moment, like that was it. That's all it took. And so I think what's so empowering about that is like, you know, not making those little kids wrong, like whatever, they're just being little kids, but knowing for myself, oh my gosh, like that's it. Like it was this simple Mm -hmm. little childhood memory. And ever since that, I made this huge meaning out of it. And it's like, we so often live in the past and we live in, you know, these past versions of ourselves. And we take that into our adulthood where now, I mean, I look at anyone who expresses themselves, anyone who cries and I'm not thinking, Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I'm jealous. I wish I could, you know? And so I think it's also, you know, thinking of yourself, if the role reversed and if someone in your life that you loved was crying or was sad, like the last thing you would think was, Oh, they're so embarrassing, you know? Mm -hmm. So why do we think people are going to think that about us? Um, so yeah, that was, that was helpful, but it was so cool that you brought that up. Cause I'm experiencing the same thing where I'm just working through that right now. Yeah. yeah. So you've talked a lot about therapy. Are there any other tools or practices that you do to really feel your feelings, whether that's journaling or traveling, listening to music, placing yourself in solitude, anything aside from therapy that you found really helpful as you embark on this journey? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love to dance. So I love Ooh. like, I don't like anyone watching me dance. I love, <laughs> um, I'll put on like my noise canceling headphones and it's not so much. I don't say, I don't know. I wouldn't even call it dancing as much as just like, like moving my body to the music. Yeah. So it's like, like just like feeling it yourself. doesn't even look like dancing. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like feeling, yeah. Like where my body wants to go. I just kind of let it guide me. And that really helps me tap in to my body also tap into kind of my like sensuality mm-hmm. feminine side. Cause I feel like I live a lot of my life very masculine and, and, you know, business driven. Um, yeah. and so it kind of helps like if I'm moving my hips or whatever, um, I know my screen's off right now, but I'm like moving my body <laughs> and, um, yeah, that just, I feel like that helps me. Like sometimes I'll process a lot of emotions through that. So if like, I'm really angry, I'll just like play some like angry music and just move or if I'm sad, I'll, you know, same kind of thing. Um, journaling has helped a lot. Like you mentioned journaling. I love that just for like a brain dump. Um, Mm. I really love this meditation app that actually has journal. So it has like written meditation prompts. Um, it's called superhuman and I just had the founder. Yeah. Mimi Bouchard. So she founded it. Yeah. I just had her on my podcast to talk about it, but I love that. Cause she had, it's the same kind of thing with therapy where like she asked these good probing questions, you know? And sometimes when I try to journal, I open up my notebook and I'm like, what the fuck do I write? Like, you know, yeah. so I start writing today. I did this, which like, isn't, I mean, it's more like a diary. It's not that helpful. Mm-hmm. So she helps me you know those get deep. Um, and then what else? Yeah. I think just more time I can spend away from social media, away from technology and just, in solitude with myself, either in nature or, you know, um, like sitting in stillness kind of in like a meditative place. That's always really helpful too, just to get quiet. Cause I think in order to really feel, understand what I'm playing, I almost have to close my eyes, be quiet. Cause there's so many distractions in the world. It's easy to, you know, take on someone else's emotions or distract from your own. 
Yeah, I completely agree. The other day, I actually came across this video of Jay Shetty. I think he was talking about this on his podcast or like some sort of interview, but he was talking about how when we wake up, the first thing we do is check our phones. We read the 50 emails. We look through the 100 Instagram notifications. We respond to 50 texts, et cetera. And he was saying, if you had a house, would you allow 100, 200 people to just walk into your house first thing in the morning? Absolutely not. Like you need to one by one, you would let them in. And with our phones, we're letting all these different people in with different things that they're saying or emotions or content or this and that. And then in the morning, our mind gets clogged up and we're so overwhelmed with all this information overload that we kind of lose touch with ourself and we lose touch with the mood that we woke up in or the energy that we brought in. Um, and I, that's something that I do a lot too, is I just close my door. I place myself in solitude and I shut myself out from the world, whether that's ignoring people's texts for a couple of hours or, you know, saying no to plans or just deleting social media off my phone for the day. I think it's so, so important to place yourself out of society for a little bit and just reconvene and get back to yourself. And it's so necessary sometimes to give ourselves that break because we don't realize like how much we take in from other people and how much we, their energy that we're bringing into ourselves that isn't really serving us. So I think that solitude is so critical in order to get back to who you are individually and to shut off all of that noise. Yes. Oh, I love, I love that you just like shut yourself in your room and yeah. And almost yeah, deleting social media too is, I know it sounds probably extreme for some people, but I have to do that too. Like if sometimes I'll find myself just opening up Instagram and I had no purpose, like I'm, I'm just standing in line at the grocery store or something. And it's like, I can't just sit in quiet or silence, you know, for 30 seconds, I have to always be doing something. And like in those moments, I feel really embarrassed where I'm just like, like that to me, like crying is not embarrassing, but like that's, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, so I can't right. even sit there. And so, so, yeah, so I, I agree, but also, you know, not feeling bad about yourself. Cause it's like, these apps are literally engineered to get us hooked to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, and they're also beautiful. It's like, you found my tick, you found my yeah. through TikTok or, you know, that's why I'm on here. So yeah, exactly. it's like a balance, but I think you're right. Like it's up to us to really set our own boundaries and it's up to us to, to take care of our mental health. And I never get offended when friends don't text me back because, you know, I think texting is actually one of the most intrusive things that we can do it even than, I don't know, even more than calling. Cause it's like so personal. And, um, I just, I always feel indebted to someone when like they text me and I haven't responded. Um, and it's just, I don't know, we're so available nowadays. So I think mm-hmm. whatever you can do to just yeah. Protect your own space is so important. It's so important. You always have to put yourself first. Cause then if you don't, you can't show up for others in the way that they need you as well. Um, just to switch gears a little bit to go back to oat house. Um, so I know you've touched on entrepreneurship a little bit in the, in the beginning of this episode. So I would love to know what is the reality of being an entrepreneur and what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned during this journey? Or what is the main advice you would give to people who are listening, who have an idea and want to go after their dream, but they haven't made that jump quite yet? Wow. Yeah. Um, 
aside from having a deep why, which we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, yep. a deeper, strong why that that's just number one foundation. Like you have to have that. Um, the second thing, I guess like the biggest thing I've learned is that no one else knows what the hell they're doing, which is really comforting. Like I've talked to entrepreneurs of companies, you know, one of, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but companies that are hundred million dollar companies where you would look at them and be like, you know, they've gotten acquired. Like they've been on how I built this, like they have their shit together. And I talked to those founders and they're just like figuring it out too. Like they're just a little farther along or they got a little bit luckier or, you know, whatever they, they, talk to the right people. Right so place, right time. That, exactly. Yeah. So that is really nice to know, like comforting. And also that if I can do it, you can do it. Like I had no prior business experience. I almost failed out of college, <laughs> like, you know, and I, I think especially now in today's day and age, like there's so many cool different ways to start a business. It's not one you know, you don't have to like know the right people. You can be a nobody, honestly. And because of the internet, because of influencer marketing, like you really can just pop off out of nowhere, which is, can be intimidating for some people, but I think there's also so much great opportunity in that. Um, so I've learned a lot of that. I think, you know, what we talked about, just using your superpower to your advantage. Another thing, um, I know I briefly mentioned it about, you know, having to be financially driven, but as a founder, number one, try not to become a solo founder. It's really difficult. Um, many investors actually won't even invest in solo founders just because it's just a huge burden to carry as one person. I I don't know anyone who has been able to do it successfully in my personal circle. Um, and also just the emotional burden of being the only founder is a lot. So I would recommend just sort of like tack advice, try to find another co-founder if not to. Um, and then the other thing is outsource what you're not good at. So again, you know how we were talking about playing to your superpower. Like I was never this financial Excel spreadsheet wizard. And I thought, oh my God, to be a CEO, that's technically that's my role. I'm the CEO. I'm like, I need to be this person. And I felt such shame and imposter syndrome around that until I realized wait, I can just outsource this. I can hire someone, you know, to be our CFO or of course, like there's a a baseline that you want to know about your own business. And I think anyone, you don't have to be a math wizard to just know the basics. Um, And it's important to be educated about that, but you don't have to be an expert. And I think knowing that my strength is social media, branding, creative, copywriting, I love that. And I want to do that. So that's what I'm going to focus on. And then I'm going to outsource other things. And I think, not having that ego come in and be like, I can do it all, or I can do mm-hmm. it myself. Um, it's going to save you a lot of time. Yeah, no, that's such great advice because a lot of people are scared to ask for help and they feel that it's a, if they need to do that, it's coming from a place of failure or defeat. When in fact, if there's something that you know, you don't love doing, like you could do it and you can get by, but it's not going to be the best or it's going to take time away from the things you're actually good at and that you actually want to do, then you need to find some help. You need to outsource it because otherwise, you know, everyone only has 24 hours in the day. If you're trying to do all of it, if you're trying to do the finances and the packaging and the branding and the social media and this and that, you're not giving yourself the space and time and energy to really focus and 
hone in on the one thing that you are so naturally good at that makes you happy, that brings you joy. And instead, your day is going to be filled with stress and frustration and like a long, long to-do list of things that you don't really want to do. So it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be at the point where you're like, I need to bring someone in. But I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. And part of it is like financially, you know, if you're not there yet to to be able to support another employee. Um, But I think it's so important to ask for help and even just get some guidance from other people, whether it's a mentor or an advisor. It's so important to come to the realization that you don't have to do it all alone, nor can you do it all alone. Right. Yes. Spot on. (laughs) Agree. (laughs) I love that. Um, so you and Eric were on shark tank a few months ago. Um, but you guys ended up not getting funding from one of the sharks. So I'm curious to know, like, what were your thoughts after that experience? Like the, obviously the result wasn't what you had initially hoped, but were there any really awesome positives that came out of it? Whether it was like tied to your business or just some really great realizations you had after being on the show, I would love to get your, the 411. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Shark Tank was such a fun bucket list opportunity. Mm. Um, Honestly, just nothing but good things to say. And yeah, I mean, we didn't get a deal, but at the same time, I think we've gotten so many no's in our, the history of our business. And that's another tip, you know, speaking of founder, founder advice, just don't take no answer. Um, You know, I mean, you can appreciate constructive criticism, but never take it personally. You know, it's oftentimes not about you. Um, and don't let it slow you down. Just uh, whenever I get a no, it actually gives me a little fire under mm. my ass and I'm like, I'm going to prove wrong. So for better or for worse, that's, that's my mentality around it. Um, but yeah, an opportunity in general was just, it was like, I can't even believe that we actually were on there. Like it was one of those things we had applied, you know, that was our fourth time applying. And we, the third time we actually to the last round didn't win um, or didn't get on the show. And so I was sort of kind of crushed by that last year. And then when they reached out to us to apply this time, I was like, I don't know. It felt like a, a toxic ex that was like calling me back. I was like, <laughs> should I do it again? Um, but I'm glad we did because, you know, we obviously, it, it, we ended up going on and I, I just think for anyone, you know, who's thinking about like, obviously Sharks a really great, you know, franchise and, and show and everything. But again, like it's not going to make or break your business. There's so mm-hmm. many, you know, there's so many different opportunities. If you, you know, if you get no for, for that show or for any other opportunity, like there's going to be a hundred more great opportunities. So um, I'm so glad at it, but yeah, at the same time, I think, you know, it's, I've never gotten a no on national TV. I think that was a first. Um, so that was maybe a little more challenging than, than kind of behind closed doors, but we're, I'm still just super grateful for the, the opportunity. I love that. I love your energy and your outlook on that entire experience. I mean, the fact that you guys applied four times and like, this is the round that you actually made it on the show, but the fact that you, it like it kicked you down, but you always kept going back up and doing something greater and greater, which I think is so, so inspiring. And I just love your energy on and your outlook on your business and success and failure. It's so refreshing to hear that you're just not afraid 
to go through those lows and highs and those ups and downs. Um, I think it's beautiful. And I think that's what makes you very successful in terms of your own personal brand and then also your business. So with that, the title of my podcast is obviously Lows to Highs, Going Inwards and Growing Up. We've talked a lot about the low moments in your life, whether it was your eating disorder or it was parts of your business. Has there been another moment in your life where you really went inwards and unpacked something that you were dealing with that transitioned from a really low negative place to something that ended up becoming a blessing for you? Yeah, I'm trying to think outside of, yeah, outside of recovery, because that was just, I mean, obviously such a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I think dealing with, you know, the loss of, I was really close with my grandma and I know, you know, grandparents die, it's part of life, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it was like the first loss, like deep grief in my life. And she actually died the day that I left for college. Um, So it was more so not even my grief for her passing away, but my mom, you know, my mom losing like her two favorite people on the same day. So it was sort of like this, I don't know. People don't talk a lot about like, um, yeah, the grief for someone else. I don't even know if there's like a word for it, but yeah, just knowing someone else is like going through it and just how that feels. Um, I think what I've from that and what a lot of people can probably relate to who've, you know, lost a loved one is just how it brings you together with the people in your life that are still alive. And like my mom and I became so close from that. And, and I think she opened up to me about, you know, a lot she wouldn't have, you know, my grandma was still alive. So yeah, I think that's another big one um, that, that definitely was a, a low to high. I love that. That is so beautiful that you share that. And it's so relatable to me because we lost my grandmother to uh, about 40 days ago or like last month and very grateful that it was a beautiful passing you know she was 95 years old she saw a lot of my life and my brother's life but I think of course it's such a sad and depressing thing to lose someone that you love who's been part of your life for so long but there's so many blessings that come with it and just knowing, you know, there's someone above you who's guiding you and who's helping you and is watching your entire life is something that's magical. And also, yeah, the fact that it does bring your family closer for some people and they're gone, but they're never forgotten. But I think that's something that a lot of people do struggle with because it is a really low period, but there is light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to grief Um, and just allowing yourself to feel it too in the moment, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. Well, Allie, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I loved our conversation. I feel like we talked through everything and anything, and you just brought such a fresh perspective to this episode and to this show. And I love how open you were to talk about all the ups and downs and your recovery and the realities of your business. It was like, I want to re listen and feel re inspired because this episode just made me feel so inspired. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for chatting. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, Yeah. Just so grateful to, to be able to share my story. I love it. All right. And I'll include all of Allie's information in the description below. If you guys want to check out her Instagram and her brand Um, and Allie, if you want to just give a quick self promo, go for it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm happy to, (laughs) um, we'll never shy away from a plug. Yeah. So my personal Instagram is just my name, 
Ali Bonner. And then um, our business is oat.house, H-A-U-S. And then our website is just granolabutter.com. I love it. All right. Thanks, Allie. Thank you.